Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Stars daily sports podcast. It's Friday, November 5th. I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We have approached the intersection of college football and college hoops, and today we'll talk both with beat writers Callis Robinette, Jesse Newell, and Lila Bromberg. But mostly, we're going to talk football. It's Sunflower Showdown Week for K-State and KU. The game's in Lawrence this season, and Kellis and Jesse break it down. The Wildcats are 24-point favorites, and they're looking to run their winning streak to three. By the way, the previous two Kansas State victories resulted in coaches losing their jobs. Matt Wells at Texas Tech and Gary Patterson at TCU. KU looks to have a similar effort to the one against Oklahoma a few weeks ago when they took the Sooners too deep in the fourth quarter before falling. Missouri's coming off its first SEC victory of the season at Vanderbilt, and it could not be facing a more difficult opponent this week. The Tigers travel to top-ranked Georgia. Missouri's a 38-point underdog, and part of that is the uncertainty at quarterback. Connor Bazelag didn't finish last week's game, and he's listed as questionable for Saturday. Lila breaks it down for us. Okay, let's get started talking college sports. Thomas Robinette and Jesse Newler here. We are talking the biggest college football game of the season. Well, at least in Kansas. Well, at least for a small segment of the population. Anyway, it's the... Stop there, Blair. Just stop there. (laughs) It was a nice attempt. (laughs) Yeah, I couldn't come up with anything. But look, it's Kansas State at Kansas on Saturday. And I suppose this one is going to go the way... They've all gone for the last, I don't know, two or 300 years. But the um, there is at least from at least one of the themes in this in this game is coaching security. We think both coaches are going to be at their schools for a while. And I'm not sure I felt that way about at least on the Kansas side of things for a little bit. So the game's got that going for it. I don't know if that'll sell any tickets, but. You know, you could at least say that, um, you know, Chris Kleiman and Lance Leipold are, uh, you know, two guys that you expect to be around these programs for a while. And and because of that, maybe there's an expectation of programs, uh, at least on the Kansas side, improving. And uh, am I am I semi right about this, Jesse? Yeah, I think so. you know, the intrigue with this one, obviously, whatever case it's a 24 point favorite in this one. You mentioned KU has lost every game in this one going back to 2000. What is it? Tell us eight, eight or 2009. One of those two 2009. years, 2009. Uh, I asked Devin Neal about it this week. You know, it kind of just popped in my head. The KU star running back. I said, do you remember a KU football win over K-State? And he goes, I'm sure my parents were hyped, but I don't because he would have been five <laughs> or six years old. And so that kind of speaks to the age of us mostly because I do remember KU beating K-State at some point in time. You know, that was part of, uh, you know, when I was covering sports and things like that. But I think, you know, it is hard for people like us to kind of realize that there's like a generation now that, that hasn't seen this, hasn't realized this. Um, but you're right. This is going to end the, uh, the K-State Grim Reaper watch of uh, every school that loses the K-State fires its coach. Uh, I feel very confident in saying that 100% Lance Leipold will be the coach of Kansas no matter what happens on Saturday. Uh, but for Kansas, you know, it's, it's all about psyche. You know, two weeks ago at home against Oklahoma, they had some good things go for them early. They gained confidence. They played with physicality and they almost 
you know, shocked the entire nation when they had an upset bid chance against Oklahoma. The next week they go to Oklahoma State, a couple of things go bad for them. The here we go agains pop up and they were completely uncompetitive, get blown out of the water. So I'll be watching the first two drives. I think that will tell us a lot about this game. If KU has that game at 0-0 or has a lead after two drives, all of a sudden gets a little bit of confidence, has some of the home fans in there going for them, then maybe this thing can be a little bit closer than people think. But uh, this also has blowout possibility because, like I said, uh, KU, if things do not go right early, then things go very bad late. And uh, th that's going to be something they try to build up in the program. But right now they're not past that. So um, for them to have a competitive game, I think they got to get off to a good start. I can remember a Glenn Mason team beating a Bill Snyder team. That's how far back I, I go with this series. That's that's been a long, long time. Um, yeah, the, uh, the the blowout possibility is certainly there for for Kansas State. They played so well actually the last couple of weeks. Well, let's just say the last game and then the last six quarters would be maybe more accurate the way K, K State has played. They kind of have found their stride, haven't they, Kellis? They have, and people in Manhattan have mostly forgotten about that uh, pesky three-game losing streak they had at the start of Big 12 play. Um, every, everything's well right now. They've gotten back-to-back -back coaches fired. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, I don't know what it would take to make a three, you know, 150-point win. <laughs> would that do it? Uh, still probably not. Uh, but, yeah, I know they're, they're playing at a high level. Skylar Thompson is, is back under center and throwing it, throwing it really well. Um, the defense has really been um, the turning point, though. In those last six quarters, they've allowed a total of 12 points, and the only touchdown they gave up was kind of in garbage time. Yeah, against uh, TC. I don't know if we know that for sure until, uh, you know, we get past this game and Kansas State finishes with um, West Virginia, Baylor, and Texas. I think those three games will define the season more than, than this one will. But it, it will be interesting. I mean, people people here still sure care about it. Um, what, what always interests me about this rivalry is that whenever Kansas State players come out and talk about Kansas leading into this game, you know, given all the history involved that they've won 12 straight, um, you know, KU's running back, can't remember a time where they've won the game. You'd think maybe K-State players would overlook this thing eventually, but, you know, they're just bitter and really want to win this game. And, um, I think that goes back to, to Bill Snyder. He, he valued this rivalry over everything else. The only trophy he really ever um, displayed prominently in Kansas State's facility was the Governor's Cup, the Governor's Trophy. And, you know, not a lot of people would think that being Kansas hasn't been that big of a deal, but it still is for people here. And um, that that's what makes me think Kansas State probably covers. But 24 on the road is a lot of points, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, but there will be as many K-State fans there, won't there, as, uh, as KU fans? Maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but typically this is a game that, uh, Kansas State fans show up to in droves. They do. Kansas State only had 44,000 at their last home game, though. So both teams have kind of struggled a little bit in attendance. But you're right. Uh, that's one reason somebody asked me, is uh, is Kansas going to open up this thing at halftime for fans to come on in? And I said, no, because they don't want a bunch of purple people coming in. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a problem with Oklahoma. I do think it's fascinating, Kellis. And I think this makes sense, honestly, on both sides of this why it is the way it is, because you're right. I think K-State has to battle overlooking Kansas. And so there's kind of this pump up factor that they do, that they, they bring up this vitriol and, hey, this is the Sunflower Showdown. Hey, you got to do this for the fan base. And, you know, we saw the Cooper BB stuff, which uh, a quick side note on that. Um, for a while, I kind of thought, maybe he's exaggerating. Maybe the story's not out there. I kind of checked in with a few people and I'm actually more convinced now that the story's true than I was before. So uh, I think there probably is, um, from what I could gather, 
uh, some truth to what he said. And then not, not what I would have expected, you know, reach out to the people that I did. Uh, but, you know, for Kansas, it's been the exact opposite. And some of this makes sense with Lance Leipold because he has been such a process oriented guy. You know, I mean, he's been the guy after they lost at Iowa State, got blown out and they were having their bye week and we were asking him, hey, what are you going to do? And he just said, stay the course, you know, do the same thing they're going to do. And he's really into day by day progress, day by day success. So you have not heard Kansas say much on their end here. Uh, you have not heard them chatter or any of the less miles who is k-state you know uh, viral espn plus videos nothing like that from ku side um like i said Devin neal talked a little bit about um you know just being a kansas kid a lawrence kid and knowing some kids on the k-state team three of them i think from lawrence uh and how much it would mean if kansas got that but i i can see why if you're kansas why you would not be cocky here i mean you haven't won in more than a decade so I think Kansas is just for, sort of bunkering down and saying, hey, not much to say here. You treat it like any other game. And KU does need to make progress in its program before it goes out and chirps about anything. But I can understand why K-State also would be on the other end and say, let's chat a little bit. Let, let's talk this thing up. Let's make this important. Because as you said, tell us, there are going to be more important games on their schedule coming up that are more competitive, more than likely. Um, so they, they sort of have to make this thing generate some energy and make this thing a big deal to to focus in on it and make sure it's a big game. Uh, bowl eligibility is here for K-State, right? If they win this, um, they get six. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. So, um, look, that, that was never a doubt, but there was a time after that, during that three, you know, at the end of that three-game losing streak, when people were kind of wondering a little bit about how where this season was going to go, the direction of the season. And, but uh, the wins over Tech and, and TCU have changed that. Uh, th- th- that idea. And Kels, we've, we've got to mention, as we did last week, where we were having trouble, well, at least I was, you weren't, having trouble with the pronunciation of Felix's <laughs> name. Um, that's going to need to become s- something of a household name, the way this guy is playing. Yeah, and it still boggles my mind that Felix and Yudike Yuzama um, was basically a free agent. Hey, you could have had him. Missouri could have had him. Uh, anybody could have had him. <laughs> if they'd have just come in before December 17th of 2019 and offered him a scholarship. Um, he, he told me KU actually did recruit him a little bit, uh, but they told him he was um, too undersized to play defensive end. They wanted him to move to linebacker. Never offered him a scholarship. I don't know if it would have gotten to that point, even if he'd have said, yeah, I'll, I'll take a look at outside linebacker. But he said, no, no, thanks. I don't want to, I don't want to try that. Um, but that, that's another interesting wrinkle here. Um, you know, what would have happened if they were the school that offered this guy instead and they had the big 12 sack leader, but, but everybody's saying that right now, Kansas state almost didn't even offer him, but that, that, that last game was, uh, was something else. I've never, I've never heard a defender's name just announced over and over and over in a game like that. Yeah. Well, we got Gary Patterson fired. Um, <laughs> and he, uh, uh, and, and he helped, uh, get Matt Wells fired as well. So, uh, it's, uh, no, he, he's, he's fantastic. He's quick. Quick as a cat, quick as Felix the cat, and uh, um, just you know, just all around uh, plays the position so well. Uh, poised to have a big game this week against uh, against the Jayhawks. Uh, so, Kellis, what what kind of what kind of bowl game are we looking at for K State? What's what are the what sort of the range of the potential here for the Wildcats going down the stretch? Uh, well, it depends how they close. If they win out. Uh and get to, to nine wins, nine and three, then you're looking at um, maybe the bowl in, in Florida that used to be in the Camping World Bowl, used to be, you know, a million different names. Right now it's called the Cheez-It Bowl. Um, I think that's probably a little too wishful thinking for them. 
my best case is I could see him get to the Texas Bowl if they could win maybe three more. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I think you're probably looking at uh, maybe the Liberty Bowl where they've been twice previously. So I don't think they're going to want to. Um, and most realistically right now, I'm thinking, I believe it's called the Guaranteed Rate Bowl, which is a fan favorite for Kansas State because that used to be the Copper Bowl. That used to be the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. They used to be the Insight.com Bowl. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's for me. Well, the important thing is, where do you want to go, Kellis? That's, that's really all that matters. <laughs> uh, it's colder. It's getting colder outside right now. Phoenix sounds great. I would go there. Sounds good. As promised, let's talk a little hoops as well. Um, Kansas got its season off last night with a exhibition game uh, on, uh, actually, I should say, on Wednesday night against Emporia State. And Jesse, that was, uh, I was a little bit surprised by who wasn't starting last night. Who, who did not make the start? Uh, the Big Twelve preseason Player of the Year came off the bench in in the opener, um, but there's, there's always a method to Bill Self's madness, isn't there? I love this. This is great. I mean, <laughs> like you already know the season storyline before the season's <laughs> even started, and you know Bill Self uh, has again. I I, I want to use the right terminology here because painting himself in a corner is a bad way to talk about adding a player who's averaged 19 points per game the last two years. There's worse problems out there. I'm sure in the college basketball world, I'm sure coaches at Kansas state or Missouri, you know, would love to welcome that challenge. Like, Oh no, I have to figure out what to do with this all pac 12 player that I added to my roster. But yeah, uh, it's the Remy Martin experience. As I wrote um, it, it's, it's fascinating because he comes in from Arizona state. He kind of was allowed to do what he wanted there. Uh, the offense was more free. We talked to him at KU Media Days, and you know I've never heard this answer before. It was just so fascinating to me. Somebody asked him what the biggest adjustment was playing at Kansas, and he said, I have to get used to not going back to the basketball, which is what he did at Arizona State. You know, like if the first part of the play didn't work, he just ran back, got the basketball, and went and shot it. You know, so um, that's not how Kansas plays, and that's not how Bill Self wants Kansas to play. And um, before the exhibition game, KU had a 6.30 a.m. workout and then a 2 p.m. workout and then played the basketball game at 7 p.m. So maybe guys were a little bit tired, but he's trying like heck to get Remy to buy into what he believes. And, you know, there's give and take here. I've seen arguments all across the spectrum from this, you know, what Bill Self should do with Remy, what Remy should do, all those sorts of things. And some people saying, look, you knew what you got in Remy. He's a free, you know, freestyling player. You, you got what you paid for basically, um, you know, in, in that sense of the term. But uh, I think, Bill Self has reason to fight back here because he has loyalty to those four starters that are returning. He has loyalty to the roster that he already put together. He has loyalty to a system and a program that has been built over time on team chemistry and guys that work hard to play for each other. So if, if a hot shot walks in and just takes in whatever shot he wants, whether it's good or bad or within the flow of the offense or efficient or not efficient, um, maybe the boat starts to get overturned. You know what I mean? So I understand what Bill Self's doing here. I think it's something that a lot of coaches probably wouldn't do in this day and age uh, because you want to make your stars happy. You want to recruit well in the future. But I think what he sees is if he lets Remy be Remy, KU's ceiling is pretty good, but not amazing. If he has Remy and gets through to Remy and has him buy into the team concept and has Remy get open shots for guys like Ochai Abaji and Christian Brown and they all start playing together, then that ceiling could be final four that ceiling could be national championship so he's doing what coaches do which is try and get more out of his players uh yet at some point he is going to have to 
let the reins go a little bit on Remy and let him be himself. And so that's kind of the battle right now. It's going to be a battle throughout the whole season and buckle up. I'm ready for it. Let, let's follow <laughs> this whole thing and see where it goes. I did love that pass he made. Was it, it was Remy, wasn't it? Like the, the cross court pass that he made uh, to the corner for the Obaji three. I thought not, not many guys make that pass or can, can make that pass as accurately as, as uh, I saw Remy do. Yeah, I wrote that in the story. It's amazing. Like, that's the play. If he makes that play for Kansas, I mean, they're a top five off. I mean, he, he reads the ball screen. He sees the backside defender. Uh, he sees that he's committed, and he takes one hand and tosses it across court. Perfect pass to Ochai Abaji for a corner three, which is as good of a shot as you're going to get in the possession. Funny enough, the very next possession I wrote about this, um, KU's offense didn't work in the first 10 seconds. Remy circled back and went back and got the basketball. Took on two defenders, shot a, an 18-foot off-balance fadeaway in brick. So uh, you got the full Remy experience in those two possessions, but I think that's exactly what Bill Self sees, which is like, if you can take door number one Remy and package that up 80 to 90% of the time and then take door number two Remy and, and keep that for 10 to 20% to, to let him be himself, then you're going to have a really good basketball team. But if that's closer to 50-50, if that's closer to 20-80, uh, then yeah, you, you kind of risk losing control of what you've built up over time. So it's it's going to be fascinating. That's two very big, strong personalities going against each other, and uh, I think that's going to be something to follow all year. We'll link to that story in the show notes. Tell us, uh, does Bruce Weber have a handle on his starting five yet? Uh, well, we're recording this before they play their exhibition game against Pittsburgh State, um, so we'll see what he goes with. I asked him earlier this week, and he was like, "Are you kidding me? No, I don't know." <laughs> Um, which you wouldn't expect uh, to hear from a coach this late in the, the, the game. Um, but uh, I think it's interesting. Um, he seems to, you know, not want to be married to any one starting line this season. And I think that reason is, is twofold. One, uh, they've got more, more capable players this year. Last year, they only really had, you know, five, six guys they even trusted to play at any given time. So those were going to be the starters. This year, they've got, um, especially in the backcourt, some options. Um, they could go big, they could go small. Um, and depending on who's, you know, playing, playing best of the time, what matchups are going against, they can choose to use any, you know, one of about six guards in the starting lineup. And that's something that we haven't seen a bunch of them in the past. So maybe it's kind of him being a little kid on Christmas Day, playing with his new toys, doesn't want to get locked into one new thing at this point. Um, so I, I do think it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, my guess is when everybody's healthy, we'll see a starting lineup that looks like Nigel Pack, Mike McGurl, Mark Smith, Ishmael Masood, and Davion Bradford. Um, but I, and I say that because that gives them the most experience and, you know, gives them a, a nice mixture of height and everything that you'd want. But at the same time, um, everybody says that Mark, Keith Noel and uh, Selt Miguel have been playing really good in practice. So, uh, you know, do you deny them every game? I don't know. Maybe if they're playing hot, you move them in, move somebody else out. Um, I guess we'll get a better, better look here in these first couple of games. But it, it's definitely one of those things where this season you, you might have to, you know, look up the scoreboard five minutes before every game to know who's going to start. This is an exhibition, right? Uh, <laughs> this isn't gonna, they're not going to get four hazed tonight, right? Uh, it, it is an exhibition. I mean, they might get four hazed. I don't know. But it won't, uh, at least uh, it won't count. But it, it won't go down in the record books as a loss for us. That's the good thing. Right. All right. Well, we'll talk again soon, you guys. I appreciate you uh, hanging out with me today. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners. Unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. We're joined by Lila Bromberg, who covers the Missouri Tigers. And Lila, we don't get many chances to talk about an SEC victory, so I think we should do that for a while. Tigers went to Nashville and beat Vanderbilt uh, 37-28, I think the score was, or 38-27, something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. It was close most of the way. It looked like there were times when the Tigers were, you know, had a chance to put the game away and then something would happen and Vanderbilt would get right back in it. And finally, in the end, big run by Tyler Beatty and set up the, you know, the, the touchdown that gave him the two score lead. Missouri, listen, um, we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about what Missouri doesn't do well. They did some things well in this game, didn't they? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned Tyler Beatty and he really had an incredible performance, had a 73 yard run in the fourth quarter that led to the game winning touchdown after uh, Connor Bazelak had gone out with injuries, finished with over 250 rushing yards um, and, you know, had around like 40 receiving yards on top of that as well. And two touchdowns, Uh, you know, he really was incredible in this game and has just been so stable for Mizzou all season. Yeah, and he was got an honor, right? SEC was it SEC SEC Offensive Player of the Week? Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, finished with 254 yards rushing. Uh, what did, what did Eli, Eli Drinkwitz had an interesting comment about him after the game? Called him what the the player nobody in the country is talking about, something like that. Yeah, and he said this after previous games too. He said he's you know the least the kind of best player that no one's talking about, and I mean I think that's true to a certain extent. You know, he's not hasn't been getting a lot of national attention. A lot of it has, you know, come with how, how bad Mizzou has been at times this season um, and just the struggles the team has had. But yeah, I mean, Tyler Beatty really has had uh, an incredible season so far. He's top five in most categories when you look at the FBS um, and, you know, really has been doing everything for this Mizzou offense, both, you know, catching the ball, running the ball. And, you know, he's definitely a guy that you can see is going to make an impact at the next level just because of his ability to be a threat in both the running and passing game. He had a run in that game that where he just totally bounced off a defender, right? Mm -hmm. Defender had an open field tackle opportunity and Beatty just bounced off of him and turned it into another long game. It was a 
it was a great game by Tyler Beatty. Uh, he's going to end up with a lot of great stats this year. I hope he gets the postseason accolades that he that he's going to deserve. He certainly will get an opportunity to uh, to showcase his talent on Saturday, and we'll get to that uh, the Georgia game and the Georgia defense here in a minute. But before we wrap up Vanderbilt, um, the uh, Beatty wasn't the only Missouri player to win an SEC award uh, from the conference in that game. Tell us about. Uh, Harrison Mevis. Yeah, Harrison Mevis was named a special teams player of the week. Honestly, it's a little surprising. He hasn't been at any point earlier this season, but, you know, I, w- I would assume that's just because, you know, it's been games where Missouri has, has lost games. Um, but he has really been incredible all season and um, has now made 19 consecutive field goals dating back to last season. He had another field goal of over 50 yards in the game and had three of them, uh, three field goals in the game, one of over 50 yards, and just has been so... Uh, you know, consistent, you know, you don't usually, you don't really know what you're getting when you put a college kicker out there to, you know, kick a 50 yarder, but with him, you know, it's going right through the middle of the uprights. And that's really been huge for Mizzou this season. I mean, I think I said it to someone after the game that if, if they haven't had him this season, you could even have some of these games, you know, be worse than they have been. I don't know how many wins they would be at. He's really just been so crucial for them this season to know that as soon as you pretty much cross midfield, kicking a field goal is an option. Yeah. The thicker kicker. I love the nickname. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think his best moment came in a loss, the, the Boston college right, game. Yeah. Where he had the, I think it was 56 yards. 56 uh, yards. I mean, when have you ever heard of a college kicker hitting a 56 yard? I mean, it just doesn't really happen that much, you know? No, it doesn't. Absolutely doesn't. And under intense pressure, last snap of regulation to send it to overtime. And of course the Tigers lost it in overtime, but, Heck, he might have been national special teams player of the week. Mm-hmm. Missouri had gone on to find a way to win that game. Yeah, I, I think a lot of NFL teams would uh would honestly want his his talents right now. I mean, he looks better than a lot of the kickers in the NFL right now, to be honest. Hey, for sure. He, I think he's got a he's got a chance to play on Sundays. Uh, mm-hmm. That is for sure. Okay, um, you mentioned this earlier, Lila, that uh, Connor Bazelak did not finish the game. Uh, Tyler Macon f- finished at quarterback. Actually, had a rushing touchdown there. The, the first play after Beatty's 73-yard run. What is the latest on Missouri's quarterback situation heading into Georgia? Yeah, so Con- Connor Bazelak went out with around six minutes left. He was kind of holding his his hip and then kind of stumbling. And then just, you know, the next thing we knew he was on the ground being tended to by trainers. We have been told it's a soft tissue injury. Um, and, you know, Dringwitz wouldn't elaborate on it on it anymore, referring to the injury report that was going to be released today. Um, and he's listed as questionable, which I think we all kind of expected of, you know, he was going to be listed as questionable, even if they already know he's going to be out or doubtful. Um, I would not expect him to play at all. Um, I think, you know, just the comments we got from some wide receivers when we talked to them this week, both kind of when we asked them about the backup quarterback said, something about them playing on Saturday or like being excited to see what they can do on Saturday. And just, you know, if you have a quarterback that isn't close to hundred percent playing him against this Georgia defense is, is not the best idea long-term for your season. No, no, it is not. Um, so the uh, you, you had a good story breaking down both uh, Tyler Macon and Brady cook. What, um, what what do each of them offer? What, what's is there anything a little different uh, that that each of them bring to a uh, to an appearance? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing with both of them is they're both young. You know, it, I kind of 
I was very impressed to see Tyler Macon, even though, you know, Beatty kind of set up that score against Vanderbilt, but to do that as a true freshman. Um, so, you know, he, he's still learning the playbook. He's still adjusting everything, which is something they keep in mind. And, and Brady Cook is just a redshirt freshman as, as well. So, you know, both of these are young guys. Um, you know, Tyler Macon has been described as a bit more of a mo- mobile quarterback, but he had a really impressive throw um, against SEMO early in the year that was just, you know, perfectly placed and ended up, uh, you know, being a touchdown. Um, and, you know, Brady Cook has a great arm as well. So, I mean, we haven't seen a lot, but based on their high school careers, you know, Tyler Macon had a very impressive high school career, set a lot of Illinois state records. He was named to the Elite 11, which is basically um, a quarterback camp for the best quarterbacks in the country that has produced. Uh, a ton of NFL and uh, college level quarterbacks that have gone on to do great things. And he impressed the coaches there, which I think was the thing that stood out to me the most when I was doing research on these guys. Um, I, I also wouldn't be surprised to see them both play and get some opportunities just because we haven't seen that much of either of them. And it's such a dominant defense. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, during goods were to give them both opportunities on Saturday. Well, no matter who, who is playing quarterback against Georgia, it is going to be the, the most difficult task. It's the most dis- difficult task in college football, playing mm-hmm. the top-ranked team at their stadium. And Georgia is the top-ranked team because of their defense. It's really been incredible all year. The, the defense has scored three touchdowns and has allowed five touchdowns this year. It's it's amazing what the, what Georgia's been able to do. The Tigers are, I think, I think I, the latest I saw was a thirty-eight point underdog in this game. What's 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 best case scenario for the Tigers going to Athens this weekend? I don't see any way that they win this game, um, especially with Connor Bazak probably not playing, and also just that a lot of Georgia's offense relies on the run game, which Mizzou still cannot defend in any way whatsoever. I mean, if Tyler B is somehow able to get it going against this defense, maybe this isn't a complete blowout. But to be honest, like I see this being a complete blowout. Yeah, I, listen, I think you're right. I, I think the Missouri's best chance is to shorten the game and rely on Tyler Beatty and the offensive line to pick up mm-hmm. first downs, move the chain, um, you know, keep keep Georgia's offense off the field against the Missouri you know, rushing defense, and uh, and hopefully. Just keep the game as, as as low scoring as as possible. It, it's going to be a difficult chore. There's no doubt about it. Um, and um, you know, maybe they catch Georgia coming off the emotional win over Florida last week. I don't know. I, I think we're going to end up with something like 56 to three, 53 to 56 to six, something like that. Like I don't think there's any way that that Missouri's even within you know 20 points in this game. It'd be tough. It's going to be tough. Um, we'll, but we'll see. You know, look, I'll, mm-hmm. we'll be tuning in. We'll, we'll and you'll be there. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you get a backup quarterback and something, I mean, something crazy could happen. You never know. Right, 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 right. <laughs> hey, um, I don't think we'll talk again before Missouri tips off its basketball season, which is next Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? Next Tuesday. So when we talk next week, we'll we'll have a little more basketball talk. But I wanted to. I wanted to wind this down talking a little bit about Warren Powers, the former Missouri football coach who passed away this week. He and his wife, Linda, uh, she also died earlier earlier this year. Uh, listen, I know you didn't know Warren Powers. I'd never met Warren Powers, but I know a little bit about Missouri's football history. And 
Um, look, I know that he you know, had a winning record and got off to a great, his career got off to a great start at Mizzou. He, you know, he's, um, uh, he was well thought of. And I just want to know what you learned in researching stories about Warren Powers. He really came in and was able to do things right away that not a lot of people thought he did. He could, um, you know, the first game of the season, knocking off Notre Dame on the road, they beat uh, Nebraska that season on the road as well uh, and finished that first year eight and four to get to a bowl game for the first time in a long time um, and talked to some former players this week. And, you know, they talked to me about just kind of, him coming in and really setting a standard of working hard and kind of, you know, really was a motivator and guy that, and guy that could instill belief in players um, came in and, and started a weight program and, and, you know, petitioned. I was just reading some articles actually from the Kansas city star, you know, when he first took a job months after a job about him petitioning for them to have, uh, a weight room and weight facilities and to make that training a part of their football program, because at the time that wasn't a standard thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, really just was able to, he led them the five straight bowl game, five bowl games, uh, four straight at one point and really kind of brought the program into being competitive in the big eight when it hadn't been for a bit. Um, and as you mentioned, kind of was, unfairly fired after one losing season and then Mizzou wasn't able to have success again until the late, I mean, to even have a winning season again until the late nineties. Right. Right. Woody Woodenhofer took over and, and then Bob Stull and then finally Larry Smith with Corby Jones, a quarterback um, turn finally got him back to a bowl game, but it took a while, more than a decade of, um, of non bowl season football. I, I exchanged texts with Joe Castiglione, who is the athletic director at Oklahoma who was a Missouri administrator, uh, started his career there in, in 1981, came from Maryland, uh, but uh, started his career at Mizzou in 1981. And uh, one of his jobs was to, one of his first jobs uh, was, was to kind of beef up the, um, the publicity for, for Missouri Athletic Communications. And he went to Warren Powers and, and had a discussion with him and, and Warren, said, look, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything to help, you know, get the word out about Missouri football. So Joe Castiglione really thought highly of Warren Powers and uh, everything I've heard, just a, you know, a, a terrific guy and, um, and, and, you know, proud, proud Missouri guy, you know, six years, 46 and 33. I think most programs would take that as a, as a record. And, and as you said, the more bowl games than not in his career. Most programs would take that as well. So I uh, look forward to reading more about what you have to write about Warren Powers, Lila. And I appreciate you um, stopping by and talking to us about Mizzou. Have a safe trip to Georgia, and we will talk to you again next week. Thank you. That'll do it for today and this week on Sportsbeat KC. Thanks to the production staff of Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, and Chris Bickett. Tip of the cap to Lila Bromberg, Jesse Newell, and Callis Robinette for stopping by and talking college sports. Links to their stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Okay, let's talk about the morning sports edition. If you're not seeing it, you're really missing out. 
on KansasCity.com, go to the Star's e-edition. That's a replica of the printed newspaper on your screen that comes with your digital subscription. Now there's an updated sports section produced separately that goes along with it. When you open up the e-edition, there's a box in the upper right-hand corner that says All Editions. Click on that and you can access pages and pages of sports, everything that happened the previous day. You also can get it through the email. That's how I get it. It's there by about 6 a.m. every morning. Listen, however you see it, you know what I'm talking about. Complete coverage of the previous day's sports news, features, statistics, everything. It's fantastic. Hey, thanks for reading The Star and listening to our podcast lineup. You're helping support the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City. And we couldn't produce programs like Sports Beat KC without you. We'll be back on Monday breaking down the Chiefs-Packers game. Hope you'll tune in then. 